Welcome to the Small Business Buzz. I'm your host, attorney and entrepreneur, Kimberly Hanlon. Today, I'm letting you know about the bare bones basic provisions you should have in your independent contractor agreements to keep you protected. And we have Julie Gann, owner of Organized Inside and Out and co-owner of Twin Cities Food Tours, here to talk with us about the real differences between starting a business from scratch and buying an already existing business, and her experience stepping into a business that's already operating. Welcome. We're glad you're here. Okay, so let's get started. Today, I'm talking about making your independent contractor agreements ironclad. Most small business owners start their business because they're excellent technicians in their own field. You know, whatever that is that they that they do. And they think, hey, I can do this for myself. And maybe I can do this for myself and have more freedom and satisfaction and enjoyment and um, possibly even more money doing it myself than working for somebody else. But usually uh, business owners don't necessarily have expertise in all the fields that they need to successfully run a business. So outside expertise like maybe marketing or web development or bookkeeping or there's a whole list of things that, that people need in order to keep a business running and growing that they may not have the either skills or even if they do have the skills, it's not the best use of their time. So they look for, for somebody else to do those particular tasks. Sometimes businesses hire outside companies to do those tasks and then it's clear. I mean, we are one company, you are another company, we're doing business together, you're a vendor. Um, there's no no question about how that relationship works. Where a question can come into to play is when you're hiring an individual and you're wanting them to do those specific tasks and such, are you hiring them as an employee or are you hiring them as an independent contractor? And just because somebody is doing something for you part-time and hourly doesn't automatically mean that they're an independent contractor you need to make sure before you classify them as an independent contractor that the way that you're working actually qualifies for independent contractor status. And last week's podcast, I talked about that a bit. Uh, you can also go to my website and I've written about this, a number of blog posts about this, uh, whether somebody should or shouldn't be an independent contractor. So, even before you think about doing an independent contractor agreement, what should go into it, make sure that it's appropriate. Because you can make an agreement and you can sign it, but if they don't qualify under you know the various tests for independent contractor status, it doesn't matter. They're gonna be considered an employee. Okay, let's say that this relationship does qualify for independent contractor status. It's really important to get that agreement done in writing. For one thing, it manages everybody's expectations. The last thing you want is for the person that you're working with halfway through whatever they're doing to say, you know what, I don't know why I'm an independent contractor. I think I should be an employee. And if a government agency ever comes in questions, 
whether that person should or shouldn't be an independent contractor, it does support your case that they are. And of course, if there's any disputes between you and the independent contractor, having that agreement in place will be helpful in managing that dispute. Okay, so what should your independent contractor agreement include? For one, it should include a full description of what it is that they're doing for you. The more detailed, the better, but at the same time, not so detailed that it constrains you from being able to to work effectively with them. It should have in there how they're getting paid, whether they're getting paid hourly or by the project or um, how often they're getting paid, just like if you were to work with any other company. Is the independent contractor going to send you an invoice and then you pay it? Anyway, however you guys are going to work that out. You'll want to include how out-of-pocket expenses will be handled. Are out-of-pocket expenses the sole responsibility of the independent contractor? Or are there certain out-of-pocket expenses that you will cover under certain circumstances? And if so, what are those circumstances? You'll want to put in there what materials or equipment you're going to furnish and what materials and equipment the independent contractor is responsible for furnishing. And part of that is also where are they going to work? Are you providing space for them or are they responsible for figuring out where they're going to work? You'll want in their statement that they have the proper license or permit to do the work that they're doing for you and a statement that they are responsible for paying their own state and federal Medicare and Social Security and unemployment and whatever other taxes on the money you pay them, and a statement that they are not entitled to any of the benefits that you may provide for your employees, you know, benefits like if you have health care benefits or child care benefits or 401ks or whatever benefit package you may have put together for your own employees. You want to put in there a statement that they carry their own liability insurance and that they're not covered by yours. You want to put in there terms about how the agreement can come to an end, whether it automatically comes to an end at the completion of a project or if it can come to an end at any time with notice by either party or only for certain circumstances, whatever that is, you're going to want to spell that out. You'll want to put in there how you guys are going to settle disputes, whether you're going to want to first try to go to a mediator, or if you are going to do arbitration, or if you are wanting to limit the places where you could go to court to certain counties, whether you want to limit the potential laws that may apply to those of your state. Depending on what they're doing for you, you may want to put in there some provisions about any intellectual property, like a work for hire agreement, that whatever written or visual creative project that they're doing for you is your property and, and the intellectual rights go to you and not to them and related to intellectual property that if the work product they do for you violates any intellectual property rights of somebody else that they will indemnify you and take the risk of liability for copyright infringement 
or trademark infringement, for instance. And of course, on a broader scale, I mean, you, you want to have it spelled out in the agreement that this is an independent contract agreement and they are not your employee. Depending on your business and what industry you are in, there may be other terms that would be beneficial for you to have in there, but these are a good starting point that really apply to almost any business. If it's helpful for you to see this list in a written format, I've written a blog post and I'll put a link to it on my show notes. Or you can also go and find it on my website at khanlonlaw.com. That's K-H-A-N-L-O-N-L-A-W.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for my bi-weekly business newsletter. In this upcoming newsletter, I'm including an independent contractor guide that you can download that will help you navigate independent contractor law a bit. And if you're listening to this podcast after that newsletter would have gone out, just send me an email through the Small Business Buzz, and I'll be glad to send that guide to you. Okay, up next is my interview with Julie Gann. Life of an entrepreneur is a never-ending struggle to sharpen that competitive edge that will place your business ahead of the competition. Fortunately, the shape of the average workplace has changed. Finding that fine balance struck between cost efficiency and excellence is now easier than ever. We need help when we need help, but we don't need to be burdened with full-time staff. That's where Astute Business Concierge can help you. Astute Business Concierge. More than just smart, astute. Visit us on the web at astutebusinessconcierge.com to see how we could help you. Okay, and we're back. And here today we're with Julie Gann. She's one of the co-owners of Twin Cities Food Tours. And she's also the owner of Organized Inside and Out. Thank you for being here, Julie. Thanks for inviting me, Kimberly. So I thought the thing that we could talk about today, and we'll talk about both of your businesses. Um, I'm glad to do that. Oh, thank you. But the thing that I really wanted to visit about is the difference between when you started up on your own, organized inside and out, and when you bought into Twin Cities Food Tours. Like, kind of, how is that starting up where you control every aspect, and how is that different than when you step into something that's an already existing business? And do you get what I'm? Uh, totally. You, do you get yes. where I'm going? Okay. Yes, I do, and, and it and it really is because there's quite a compare contrast mm-hmm. between the two um, in terms of the amount of energy that is needed and. When you walk into something that's already running, while it may not be an ideal business for yourself, you may think there's things I'd like to change about it. You can at least go in and get started and really learn the business at the same time while you're evaluating the processes in place and decide which are the priorities and how to go about changing them. Great. All right. So let's, let's start by telling people a little bit about Organized Inside and Out and a little bit about Twin Cities Food Tours. All right, great. Uh, well, I'll start with uh, the Organized Inside and Out, which is my own private LLC, uh, and I do organizing both of physical spaces, um, anything from closets to, to garages. I also do some business 
organization, whether it be helping people with structures in their business um, or filing, you know, whatever that may be, but anything that's going to help bring organization both from an outside visual perspective to the inside, uh, how it helps you function in your day-to-day life. Um, the second business that I am part of is Twin Cities Food Tours, and this is going into our fifth year of operation that the business has been around and the third year that I have co-owned it with a woman named Rebecca Lenhart. Um, we uh, do a walking, cultural, historical, and food tasting tour. Um, currently, we have one route that goes from downtown into northeast, and it's a three-hour tour, um, seasonally, of course, since we're in Minnesota. And it's great because we're looking to expand. We do private tours. Uh, it's just a really fun way to learn about Minneapolis history and culture while having some yummy bites along the way. It's so cool. Yeah, thank you. All right. So, on the surface, okay, let me let me tell you. I mean, I I have... A handful of businesses, right? Mm-hmm. Every single one of them I have started from scratch. Mm-hmm. And so, boy, do I know the startup slog. Right, right. <laughs> um, given the choice between startup slog and stepping into an already running business, yep. now that you have experienced both, is there a preference? Would you have a preference? You know, that's funny. And I have to say that... For me personally, I preferred the idea of stepping into a business that was already running. Now, there are pros and cons to each one. However, I get stuck in the getting off the dime creative process and how do I make a logo and where do I start and do I spend my time and energy on a website or do I spend it on a marketing brochure or you know, how do you manage all of that time and all of that stuff that happens in the front end? The nice thing about taking over something that was already in place is it's been really easy to evaluate what works, what doesn't work, what I would tweak, and then start, Rebecca and I have been able to look at it and prioritize where we spend our money, where we spend our time, at the same time while learning the day-to-day operation of the business. And when you're starting, you end up having to do all of that at once or juggling it very finely. That's true. That's Mm -hmm. true. I suppose... I've had the the serious benefit of having come out of the design industry. Right. And now having, of course, a legal background. I mean, I know for a lot of people, they're like, gosh, how those are two, they think they're two polar opposites. To me, they're not. They they just complement each other so well. But um, that part that you're talking about, yep. the logo and, and the branding and, and making like clever pitch lines and things like that. Oh, that's so easy for me. Man, I could do that all day, every day. And that's like fun. <laughs> right. But but there is a lot to do and it, it can be super overwhelming. Yep. Um, and if, if that aspect of it isn't already sort of in your bailiwick, I can see how it would be super valuable to shortcut that whole process. Where for me, if I were to buy a business... I wonder if I would be doing that anyway. Oh, unless unless they had, you know, just super high quality graphic products anyway. Sure. But yeah, I'm like that's So that's really interesting to me. Yeah, a couple of thoughts on that. It's funny because I have a background in marketing and specifically in project management and execution. So I was not the design person. I was the person who took it from design to implementation. Um Therefore, I actually have to pay somebody to do the creative work. 
And when you're starting a business and you start looking at all the things that have to go into starting a business well, even if you're doing it on a smaller scale, you suddenly are looking at, you know, design time and web design and who writes your copy. Just those those components alone can be quite costly and take a lot of time if you're going through multiple revisions. Um, so inheriting something that maybe we didn't love, but that we obviously could see had led to a successful business thus far. I mean, this was a business that was already showing a small profit. So we knew that what they had in place or what she had in place was working. Then it's a matter of you can go back and tweak it on your own timetable. So that that is one aspect of it. If you're not that true creative type and that visuary, whatever you Mm -hmm. want to call it, that can just create from nothing. Um, That is one benefit to actually finding something in existence that is has more that you like about it than as opposed to what you would change. That brings me to another thought too. As I have gone through my career and my life and the businesses that I have and working with more and more people, of course, I have had a shift in, oh, it has to be just right to, it has to be quite excellent. But there is a point where, you know, this good enough is quite excellent Mm -hmm. and it really doesn't have to be perfect. And I, I suppose when you're buying a business, it's easy to look at that and, and look at the stuff and say, okay, well, there's things that we could do to improve it. But really, right now, how it is, I, I can accept it as being quite excellent and quite good enough. <laughs> well, right. Or what's the old phrase, phrase of it ain't broke, don't fix it? Yeah, <laughs> that's true. So that was something that we were really able to take to heart is that there are, there are things that we would have changed from day one. And there was no need, there was no urgency because there were things that were working. Um, and as an example, as I mentioned, we're going into our third year of owning it uh, as a partnership. And last summer we had our logo redone and uh, are coming up with some new branding. And right now during the off season, we're able to overhaul our website. We're going to have a whole new look and feel come this tour season. And we've also been able to spend two years getting all the other operations and aspects of the business totally ironed out. So now we have that energy freed up to spend on creative. That's, so that's awesome. Mm-hmm. When you bought the business, did you have the the expectation that it would running it occurs a certain way, or or that you would have a certain type of workload? And and did the reality match your expectations about that? Um. That's a good question. I would say that for the first year, our commitment, and it is seasonal and it is micro. So it's not, it's why I have the other businesses. It's not a sole source of income for either one of us. And our, our goal in the first year was really just to walk away from that first year feeling that we had at least broken even, if not shown a profit, and that we had a complete end to end understanding of the business, all the ins and outs, as well as a list of priorities of what we would want to change in a timetable for them. And we walked away with that. I mean, that was, you know, that was a realistic goal. Uh, we even surpassed it by a little bit. We increased our private tour business by a fair amount. Um, and I think the thing is we just danced in it. It was, let's just kind of evaluate it on a week by week and a month by month basis and figure out how we need to adjust what our expectations are. And the nice thing about it being seasonal is then we have the off-season to address infrastructure-type things. Yeah, that's nice. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's take a quick break. 
and we're back. When you bought the business, I mean, of course, there was already a certain client base and certain revenues coming in. I mean, I know it's seasonal, mm-hmm. but did you find that the transition from the previous owner to you guys, that a lot of the the repeat clients came with you? Or how was that to almost inherit that customer list and then the customer's expectations? Well, I have to say, I mean, that's the one nice thing about the way that this was set up and something that we evaluated is that there was a, a good website with all of the information put in place. We use a third-party ticketing company to conduct all of our transactions. So there's an 800 number customers can call. Um, and then last but not least, there was the the idea that it really was transparent to anybody who was already looking at the business. We were using things like Google AdWords. Since since our retails, quote unquote, face is all internet based, there isn't that dramatic change to a customer. Uh, so yeah, we maintained our current client list um, or the, the, the historical client list um, really until we got into conversation directly with especially private tour customers. Did they realize that it was even somebody else handling it? And I think the other thing is that uh, the previous owner had a very high level of integrity and had set things up in such a way that um, we were able to replicate what she was doing. Um, she had a lot of great documentation. Again, if you're looking to buy a business, I, I, my advice would be to really look at the kind of the bone structure of what's in place, are there procedures in place, what does a customer experience look like, and can you just pick that up and keep running with it? So I would say that there was very little, if any, notice to our customers. And I'm guessing too, the the restaurants that you partner with. Correct. Tour too. Yeah, that, and they're a huge, I mean, they're a huge customer in many ways for us. Uh, we have great relationships with our uh, restaurants and uh, market providers. And the cool thing is, is we just went in and really had the conversation that looked like we're committed to continuing with business as usual. We're excited to partner with you you know, let us know what worked, let us know what didn't work. And the feedback we've gotten from our vendors as well has been overwhelmingly positive. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, nobody does everything perfect. (laughs) I mean, so I'm sure as as much as the previous owner worked to improve and improve and improve as, as we always do, Mm -hmm. I'm sure that there were things that, that needed to, I don't know, be tweaked or shift or something. What, what were the first sort of things that that you guys tackled as things to improve. Yeah, and I would say this plays into the biggest reason why she was selling the business. So she started it as a micro business on top of a full-time existing nine-to-five weekday job. So her growth was bound specifically by her availability and schedule. And uh, between Rebecca and I, while we have other things in our lives, we have fairly flexible lives. And we started looking immediately at how do we say yes to customers all the time? And we, that the first one was expanding the private tour business and really being able to say yes whenever um, an organization or an individual contacted us and thought, hey, a private tour would be a great outing for our company um, department. Um, and so we just have really worked to make any request be a yes that we possibly can. So that was the first thing is just expanding our offerings. And we also expanded the the times when we offered our tours. We added a Friday um, a year and a half ago. And that's been really successful. 
So that that's one of them. Um, another one is also just in terms of the time and energy we have to spend on um, things like redesigning the website, you know, the graphics. Um, you know, that it's she she started the business in 2010, and we are looking at like, okay, it's time to update our image, right? And that's something that again in a business you're going to be doing ongoingly anyway. And if your time is short, that's going to be one of those things that falls to the bottom of the list because it's important, but not urgent. Right. Your doors don't close because you haven't updated your logo. Exactly. <laughs> and having a new logo can generate a lot of fun and excitement and some some uh, new clientele who didn't notice you before. I mean, it's, there's just yeah. lots of And pros. it's also, a, you know, rebrand or not necessarily rebranding name wise, I'm, but I'm saying relaunching your your look can be also a good reason to put things out on your media channels. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. It generates some fun and excitement. Uh, our goal is to have some promo materials as well, maybe some trinkets available. You know, it just, it, yeah, it just, it feels like a great shot of adrenaline coming into your business. Do you guys have plans to add other tours? Definitely. Our goal is to have a second route by midsummer. And it's funny because we get asked that a lot. And I think the biggest challenge for us is that building a new route, while it may sound simple, is extremely comprehensive in terms of finding the right neighborhood, forming those relationships with restaurants, uh, mapping out a route because our tours are walking. We like to make them about a one and a half mile walk. So it's doable for somebody in three hours. And it's it's also a great way to go test out some new places and some new neighborhoods. So we've been doing that groundwork over the last year. Oh, that's fun. And uh, yeah. I suppose you also have to also have it be around somewhere that has something interesting. I mean, right. I mean, even if it's a great neighborhood and they have great restaurants and you have the rest of the, the elements, if there's nothing to talk about, yes. then that's going to be a really boring tour. It, 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 <laughs> yes, it is. And, and I think the one thing to keep in mind is while we're called Twin Cities Food Tours, I'd say one of the most common um, positive feedback comments we get from participants is, but you're so much more than a food tour. I learned things about Minneapolis I didn't even know. Or, you know, I really loved having some of the architecture pointed out to me. So, yes, there's definitely that uh, perfect blend of having some history and architecture and culture to talk about in addition to the restaurants. Well, and let's face it, Minneapolis-St. Paul has some really cool stuff in its history. Right, right. Oh, I know. And, and actually, that's one of our biggest challenges for picking another route is, which one do you do? Well, and I will add one other thing about the routes. Um, we have tweaked route, our current route for uh, for private tours as well. So we do have our normal walking tour that is the one we sell to the public. We have tickets available on Friday and Saturdays uh, currently going into the season. Um, however, private tours sometimes make special requests if they want it longer, they want to know if we can add a stop, whatever that looks like. And so that's kind of fun. It's our way to play with our current route and offer something a little different. Yeah, you can offer something different, but meanwhile, you're sort of doing market research. Exactly. To say like, oh, exactly. well, maybe we should mm -hmm. add this. or. Mm -hmm. Well, this has been awesome, Julie. Thank you so much for joining me today. 
how can people reach you if they want to learn more about either your organizing or the Twin Cities Food Tours? Great, great question, Kimberly, and thanks again for having me. Uh, regarding the Twin Cities Food Tours, the best way to reach us is through our website, which is Twin Cities Food Tours, and that's T W I N C I T I E S. F-O-O-D-T-O-U-R-S dot com. And from there, there's a contact us button. There's a, there is a phone number on there. All of our ticketing does go through the web. Uh, and we'd love to hear from you there. Regarding the organizing business, uh, organized inside and out, uh, the, my primary way of communication is my Facebook page. So you can, re- can search me on, um, Facebook under organized inside and out LLC. Awesome. And we'll put links up on our show notes as well. Thanks so much, Julie. You are welcome. Thanks again for having me, Kimberly. next week for the small business buzz when I talk about how a handshake can kill your business and we visit with Rachel Leslie about feng shui principles for your business and how you can clear a path for success. You can find links and other useful information on our show notes at thesmallbusinessbuzz.com and be sure to follow us on iTunes or Stitcher. Of course, a lawyer would have a disclaimer And here is mine. Any information provided on the show is for informational purposes only and is not intended as legal advice. The show theme music is Pioneers by Jason Shaw, released under a Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license. And the music interlude is Summer Sidewalks by Jason Shaw, released under a Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next week.